Very thankful. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And we're going to continue our preaching through John's gospel. And I'm very thankful for what the Lord had done in our hearts earlier this morning and what he'll do in our hearts here in just a little bit. As you can remember, it's two weeks ago, We uh, and there's something funny going on. Y'all need to fix that. Uh, I don't know what happened uh, between their first service and now, but that's a little crazy going on here. It's messing with me. I'm, I'm hearing myself twice, so fix that if you would. Uh, look at verse number 9 of John chapter 12. The Bible says this, Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake, only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews, notice this, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So just think about it. Two weeks ago, we preached on Lazarus being raised from the dead, and and of course, now people are starting to hear that Jesus raised a man from the dead. This had not happened. And when they heard this, they, they, they wanted to find this Lazarus and see him for themselves. I mean, they could not believe that Jesus could raise a man from the dead. And so when the religious crowd heard it, they were uh, afraid that others would believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And so they said, we need to kill that man. We need to kill Lazarus. And that's exactly what's going on in these three verses. There is a plot to kill Lazarus. They're wanting to kill a man. Now think about it. He's just been dead a few days before and they're wanting to kill him again. <laughs> Little did they realize that if they'd killed him a thousand times, Jesus could have raised him a thousand times. Amen. And uh, think about it. This is the one miracle that Jesus did that was going to be walking around telling other people. He had turned the water to wine. He had caused a storm to cease. He, he, had done, he had put a blind man, uh, of course, gave him his sight. He had done these things. But water to wine was drunk and the storm had ceased its, its uh, raging. But this man was able to actually speak about what Jesus did. And by the way, there's a message in that. Uh, Lazarus ran around and he was telling others what had happened. I mean, this is amazing. He had an impact on others because of what Jesus did. And church, this is not the message, but uh, but this is really what I want to give you just about these three verses is if God has done something for you and I, we ought to go around and tell people. We ought to be a living proof, a living proof of what Jesus has done for us. A living testimony is what I like, a testimony. And, and that's exactly what Lazarus was. He was a testimony of God's goodness. But here's things kind of pick up in verse 12. We see an entry, a triumphal entry of Jesus. Verse 12, And the next day much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and they went forth to meet him and they cried, Hosanna. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, which is a, a donkey, a uh, young colt, uh, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Sion. He's quoting Zechariah 9 9. The, thy king cometh and set it on an ass's colt, which again is a young donkey, a young colt. Uh, so these things understood not his disciples at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave, raised him from the dead and bare 
record. They were witnesses. For this cause, the people also met him for that, for that they had heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the text that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that you will help us through your word. Uh, God, this has spoke to my heart. And I thank you for what you did in our hearts this morning. I pray that you'll bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just tell you where we are in relation to the Lord's life and death on the cross. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. He is to talk of the town, a man dead for four days. He's raised from the dead. And now Simon the leper who was healed uh, invited Jesus to a supper. And there with Jesus as his disciples, there's Mary and Martha, Lazarus and Simon. And Mary breaks open that alabaster box and she begins to worship or to anoint the feet and the head of Jesus. She wiped his feet with her hair. Judas, he rebukes Mary and, and she, he basically said that she had wasted what she had. He could have maybe fed the poor with the money that she could have sold the alabaster box for. But it was then that Jesus rebuked Judas and he said, leave her alone. He, he goes to Mary's defense. He stands up for her and he said, what has been done is a good thing. And so we have that. We, we preached that a few weeks ago. What a beautiful passage of Scripture. What an example to you and I that we should uh, worship and how we should worship. We're still preaching and still teaching about what Mary did. Well, the next day is Sunday. It's the Passover, four days until the Passover. And the Jewish leaders, they want to put Jesus to death, but not during the Passover celebration. Their, their plan was to seize Him and execute Him before the feast of the Passover, before the people had dispersed and maybe would cause an uproar. So regardless of the enemy's desires, the Lord would die at the precise time that was foreordained in God's eternal plan. Now fittingly, the Lamb of God would be sacrificed on the same day that the Passover lambs were being sacrificed. And, and because He is our Christ, our Passover, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, therefore Jesus prepared to publicly enter Jerusalem for, to force the issue of His death. Now, many times Jesus would say, don't broadcast this, or don't announce this, or don't publish this. He said that all through the Gospel of Mark, after he did a miracle, don't tell nobody, don't do this. But now Jesus on this Sunday is making a declaration that he is going to be the Passover lamb, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. And the exact day at the Lord who he chooses to enter into Jerusalem fulfills one of the most remarkable prophecies in the Old Testament according to Daniel 70 weeks. Now, I want you to see in Daniel chapter 9. Will you turn over there with me? I want you to see Daniel chapter 9. And I'm going, I'm kind of laying a little groundwork. But Daniel chapter 9. And look with me. I believe it's in verse number uh, 24. Daniel chapter 9. And look with me in verse number 24. The Bible says this. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish 
the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make a reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from from the going forth of the commandment to restore, to build Jerusalem unto, notice this, the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troubles time. Troublous time. Notice verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the war of desolations are to be determined. Now, though Daniel the Lord predicted at that time from Artaxerxes' decree ordering the rebuilding of the temple. And until the coming Messiah would be 69 weeks of years or 483 Jewish years. Now, now don't let me lose you because the Lord enters Jerusalem. Now get this in your mind. He enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey. This is, this is a, a prophetic according to Zechariah chapter number 9 and verse number 9. This day, think about it, was prophesied 400 years before this day even took place. The Old Testament prophets prophesied that Jesus would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He was not coming on a horse. He was not coming on a stallion. He was not coming to conquer and rule as he will one day. And we'll get there in just a minute. He's riding on a lowly, humble donkey. By the way, that no man had ever rode before. That's prophesied. That's a miracle, by the way. You try riding an animal that had never been rode before. Especially a donkey that had never been broken before. And yet he finds it according to Luke chapter 19. And they, the disciples find it. And, and they said that if, if they ask... Why are you taking this donkey? He said, the Lord is in need of him. And by the way, nobody ever argued about that. They bring the donkey to Jesus. He gets on that donkey after they laid their clothing over the back of that donkey. And Jesus begins his journey over the Mount of Olives through that valley of the Kidron. And he goes up as he's going to enter into Jerusalem on that Sunday, that Passover Sunday. Now, I believe this. I believe that God's word is inspired. And I believe that it's inerrant and I believe it's infallible. It's true. It's trustworthy. The scriptures are God-given. And this just solidifies that, that this is prophesied in the Old Testament that something would happen 400 years later. That's a proof that we, we have an infallible book. Amen? Now, we, we see in our text, all four Gospels actually record this, this, this story. Now, John's gospel is different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke because John's gospel is written 40 years after the fact. And basically, the reason John doesn't say a lot about this as much as Luke does is because he's kind of filling in the gaps where the others had, had written about it. They call them the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And remember that John wrote this some 40 years after And about 90% of what John wrote is new material. So John does not tell his readers maybe what happened during the last week of the Lord's life. For instance, he he doesn't really tell us that Jesus prearranged for two of his disciples to obtain the donkey, as I just said in Luke chapter 19. 
John doesn't actually tell us how the Pharisees insisted that Jesus silence those who were praising him and, and Jesus refused, so saying that if he did so, the rocks would even cry out. He said that in Luke chapter 19. Uh, John doesn't really say anything about how the Lord wept over Jerusalem and how cursed it would be like a barren fig tree. He didn't say nothing about that, but Luke did. He doesn't really say anything about how he cleansed the temple after the fact that he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He doesn't say much about that. He doesn't say anything about our Lord giving the Olivet Discourse with the prophecy concerning the very last days that are coming. And he doesn't even say anything about the agonizing prayer of our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. But here's what he does say. He tells us about the anointing that Mary and the worship that she presented to Jesus on that day to basically anoint his body that would be broken and bruised. He does actually say that Jesus did have a royal entry into Jerusalem. And that's John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. He does actually mention the request of the Greeks that we'll preach about next week. That they would look to Jesus. And he he mentions that. But as we look at this parade for Jesus, I want you to notice several things about this text. Now... I've asked the guys to put up on the screen an example. And I want to give you this because I just got back from Israel. I want you to see exactly what I'm looking at. Now, this is actually a model of Jerusalem. I took this picture on uh, the last day before I came home. This is actually a a model. You can see some folks looking at it from the left. This is in Israel. Jerusalem city is in the background. The, The old Jerusalem's over this way. But this gives you an idea of of what Jerusalem would look like in Jesus' time. Now, as I'm standing, the way you're looking, this would be the Temple Mount. This is the temple uh, in which was built. And this is the court of the Gentiles to the left. This is the eastern gate. And right in front of that is the Valley of Kidron. And as I'm facing from this view, we would be standing on the Mount of Olives. We'd be looking down at Jerusalem. This is a little place called the Sheep Gate. This is where they kept the sheep that was going to be sacrificed. And they would actually go over there and they would go and inspect the sheep on the Passover and bring them through the Sheep Gate and they would actually be uh, slaughtered there for the sacrifice. This is the, the Pool of Siloam down here at the very bottom. And the pilgrims, all of the pilgrims that came from all over Israel would come up this steps... And enter into, if they were Gentiles, they would go into the Gentiles uh, gate. And of course the men would have their section. The women would have their section. And the Jews, to bypass the Gentiles, would actually have tunnels. And they would bypass that and come out on both of these into the courts. Jesus is, this Passover, you think about it, there's some 30,000 people living in Jerusalem at this time. But when Passover time came, everybody would come and converge. There could have been over a million folks in Jerusalem. So can you imagine in your mind right now, as Jesus is coming, what are they doing? They are crying Hosanna. They have their palm leaves out. They are actually celebrating the fact that Jesus is coming into town. 
Now, the book of Exodus, if you go back and you read the book of Exodus, maybe in your yearly reading, you've already gotten to Exodus already. You'll read in Exodus that it required that every family have its own lamb as a sacrifice. This is the reason for Passover. Every family had their their lamb for sacrifice. They were to bring a lamb four days for Passover, and the lamb was inspected without any defects, without any blemishes. And then while the lambs were brought in and inspected, in rides Jesus, the Lamb of God. Think about this. And, and He too is inspected. Amen. And those who inspected Him declare, I find no fault in Him. Amen. And so Jesus was the Lamb of God. He did not come to celebrate Passover. He came to be the Passover. You understand? And there was no fault in Him. Now it's estimated that, that as I said earlier, 30,000 Jews live. But now... There's many, sometimes uh, six times as many Jews would have converged upon uh, Jerusalem at this time. Now look at the procession. Jesus is engineering everything that happens. Jesus is riding in on an unbroken donkey, and it's a young donkey, it's a colt. And that within itself is a minor miracle. Thousands are around him and behind him shouting, Blessed is the King of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord. They're basically quoting Psalms 118. They're shouting a phrase called Hosanna, which means save us. They had the wrong view of Jesus. They're saying, save us. What are they saying save us from? Our sins? Oh no, they save us from Rome. Jesus is here. He's going to deliver us. Here's the palm branches. Well, you say, Pastor, why palm branches? Well, according to Jewish historians, Josephus, he said that a Jew was actually to always have two things on him as journeying to Passover. One thing was a a knife in case he encountered war. Another thing is a palm branch in case of victory. And in this case, they are waving the palm branches. See, the palm branches go all the way back to the Maccabees when the Maccabees actually ran Syria out of Jerusalem because they had desecrated the temple. They killed a pig on a day and they went inside the temple and they sprayed blood all over that temple and they desecrated the temple. And the Maccabees, they rose up and they decided to drive uh, the Syrians out. And from that point on, they... Began to, uh, they began to use palm branches as a sign of victory. We see the engineer, Jesus is in control. Jesus is, is controlling this. He's, he's saying, look at me, I am the Messiah. I've told you to be quiet about it. My time has not yet come. But now I'm announcing to everyone, hey, I'm here. I'm going to save you from your sins. I am the Messiah. But then I want you to notice the cheer See, does it seem strange to you that Jesus accepts and even encourages this praise? Look at our text. They took branches in verse 13 of palm trees and they went forth to meet Him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. No, just, I, want to, I want to clarify this. Turn over with me to Luke 19. I want to show you what, what actually what Luke says about this particular text. Luke chapter 19 He's just a little bit more detailed over the story than John is. In verse number 28 of Luke 19, it says, And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up 
to Jerusalem. So he's through the Valley of Kidron. Now he's going up toward the eastern gate. You see it right there in the front. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethpage and to Bethany at the Mount of Olives, called the Mount of Olives, he sent up two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you in which you are entering, and ye shall find a colt tied wherein no man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man asks you, Why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they were sent when the, uh, and went their way and found even as he has said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And brought him to Jesus. And they cast their garments upon the colt. And they set Jesus thereon. And he went. They spread their clothes in the way. And when he had come nigh, even now to the descent of the Mount of Olives... The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is what they're, they're, they're praising. Basically, they're singing Psalms 118 about verse number 25. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. So the Pharisees got annoyed with the behavior of these disciples and others. And they, they, they looked at Jesus and they said, Jesus, rebuke them. Now notice, Jesus was not about earthly praise. He was not about getting the notoriety of man. But here's what Jesus said to these Pharisees. These Pharisees verse 40, And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that. If these should hold their peace, talking about these people, the stones would immediately cry out. If they were happen to listen to what you're saying, the very things that I created in the, the beginning of time would begin to praise the Lord. He said, don't you tell them to hush, because if they did, oh my, the rocks would cry out. And so what the people wanted to do, The people wanted to, at this point, they wanted to make Jesus king before and and before this time. Do you remember in John chapter 6, do you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 and and right after the feeding, the the crowd began to follow him and Jesus literally had to slip away? The Bible says in John 6, because they wanted to make him king. The people always wanted to put a crown on Jesus and Jesus said, no, I'm not here to be an earthly king. I'm not here to be a conqueror. I'm not here to beat someone. I'm here to save you from your sins. Matter of fact, in Luke 19, that same chapter I've been referring to in the earlier verses, it says in verse 10 that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the disciples never understood why He would do this. Now why the change? Now listen, stay with me. Why the change? Why would Jesus now go from don't say anything to if you shut up, the rocks will cry out? Why would He do that? Well, up to this point, Jesus has said, my hour and my time has not yet come. 
Notice in John chapter 2 and verse 4, at the wedding, he said, my hour is not yet come. In John chapter 7 and verse 30, they wanted to kill him, but they could not lay hold on him because his hour had not yet come. In John chapter 8 and verse number 20, they wanted to kill him again, but his time had not yet come. So from this point on, he says, my time has is coming. My time is now. He knows that it was time for him to give himself a sacrifice. Matter of fact, we see that in uh, verse number 27 of that same chapter, John 12. He says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Jesus is saying, my hour now has come. John chapter 13 and verse number 1. Now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come. So guess what? The timing wasn't right in the beginning, but now the timing is right. Jesus says, I have to make this proclamation. I have come to be the sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. Now I know something the Jews didn't know that day. On that day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem as a lamb willing to die for our sacrifice, that day is soon coming when he will ride into Jerusalem, not on a donkey and not as a lamb, but he will ride in on a strong white horse to rule and to conquer his foes. He's going to ride in as a lion, not a lamb. Matter of fact, turn over with me to Revelation chapter 7. I want to read to you the only other time in Scripture that the palm is mentioned in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 9. And after this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne. Before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and notice, and palms in their hands. Now the last time a palm was in their hand was here. But here, futuristically, right after the seals had been poured out, right after the wrath of God has been poured out on the world, and these 12 tribes give up their 12,000, these Jewish prophets, the 144,000, right after all of that, here John sees a sight that has not been seen Same John since the Passover. They're standing there in white robes with palms in their hands. Now notice what's happening. And cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne unto the capital L, Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and about the elders and the four beasts that fell on the throne Uh, before the throne on their face and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and are washed and have washed their robes and have made them white, noticed, in the blood of the Lamb. 
and the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them and they shall never, uh, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears. The palms of victory that they were waving in the crowds and saying, oh, and by the way, just a few days later, those hosannas would stop and they would be shouting, crucify. Crucify Him. You say, Pastor, what is the application of just these seven verses? Now, I was thinking about this this week, and, and you can imagine, this is at the, the Israel uh, History, uh, History Museum. This is historical. I got to see some of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, it's, it's actually a pretty amazing place. This is a, a wonderful, it kind of puts everything in perspective because Israel can be confusing over all of the years. Uh, you know, Rome obliterated this, so it didn't look like this. Rome came in in AD 70 and destroyed all of this. The temple was desecrated and destroyed. And of course they came back through and, and over time rebuilt it during uh, the Byzantine era and different things there. But, but this is what it would have looked like during the time of Christ. And I thought to myself, what, what is application? What would, what would we want to know as Jesus is coming in victorious as it seems, but just a few days later, I thought to myself, these people followed Jesus, but they followed Jesus for the wrong reason. It's, listen to this church, I will cry Hosanna as long as he is benefiting me. Hosanna! Oh, He's the King. He's come to save us. He's come to make our lives so much better, is He? See, it's, it's so much easier to follow Jesus when He's making your life so much better, isn't it? But that ain't the way it's always going to be. Matter of fact, if you were to go to Hebrews chapter 11, you would find that in Hebrews about midway through, about verse number 35, it talks about those that would, uh, that would suffer. And even be martyred. Matter of fact, I, I want to read that to you. Hebrews chapter 11. You, you don't have to, uh, for sake of time, turn over there. But I want you to notice what he says in Hebrews 11 verse 35. Women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. You understand, those people in the hall of faith, every one of them suffered. And yet we revere them and we say, oh, these people, oh, such great faith. Every one of them went through the fire. And yet Jesus says in verse 35 that they may obtain a better resurrection. Some of them died for the faith. Jesus, listen, folks, this is not a message about you fighting for Jesus. Nowhere in scriptures do I see Jesus commanding us to fight for him. You know what Jesus wants us to do? He wants us to follow. Here's a reason not to follow Jesus. Uh, put that up. Application number one. We, we, we don't follow Jesus because, or don't follow Jesus only because the temporal benefits you think He might provide for you. Temporal. He can make my marriage better. Yes, Jesus can make your marriage better, but what if He don't? He's still God. He's still good. 
and he's still worthy of you following him. But he can bring my kids home. You're absolutely right. Jesus can bring your wayward son home. He can bring your wayward daughter home. Hey, Jesus can bring my health back. My health is gone. Yes, Jesus, I believe that we can pray and and ask for miracles. But what if he don't? Are you still going to follow? These people here, as soon as they realized Jesus was not going to benefit them, they turned on him and said, crucify him. And you know what? You say, Pastor, that was then. They're still doing it today. As soon as you don't get the thing you thought Jesus would bring you. Y'all ever, y'all been in church a little while. Have you ever seen someone get religion? They, they got in trouble. They got caught. Boy, they get in here. They make the best church member for about three weeks. Pastor, pray for my court appearance. It's like that one guy that came in the lobby and he asked, he said, uh, Pastor, would you pray for my hearing? And I, I put my hands on him. I said, Sir, uh, God bless this man. Let him hear. And he, he said, Well, I appreciate you praying today, but my hearing's in three weeks, right? <laughs> Y'all understand that I ain't the hearing he was talking about. That ain't the hearing I thought it was. Some of you's like, Oh, phew, you know, over you. Some of you pray for a sense of humor. Amen. Don't follow Jesus only because the temporal benefits you think he might provide for you. Number two, here's the reason we ought to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus because who he is. He is God. He is the Messiah. You follow him in the good times. You follow him in the bad times. I mean, that's according to the text. You follow him because, listen, he's proven that he is. I mean, all the miracles, that's what John said, John chapter 20 and verse 21. He said, the reason I wrote this book is that you would believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that you may believe on His name. Listen, we should believe and follow Jesus because He's God and He is King. And He's not been crowned yet. But he will be, and he's already been king, but one day he'll sit in Jerusalem and he'll reign and we'll reign with him. The third reason we ought to follow Jesus, we follow Jesus because you can oppose Jesus and succeed in the short run, but in the long run you will lose, and guess what? He will win. We read about that in Revelation chapter 19. I believe I've I've loved these verses, but in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 11, I believe it is. Revelation 19 and verse number 11, the Bible says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. By the way, that doesn't sound like a Jesus riding on a donkey, does it? All humble and lowly. But boy, when this is read here, he's riding on a white horse. He's faithful and true. And in righteousness doth he judge and make war. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Oh, I love that. Oh, you say, Pastor, why should I follow Jesus? Well, you ought to follow him because he's God. He's worthy. And if he saved you, listen, he saved you from a life of misery, but he also saved you from a life from hell. That alone, you say, Pastor, things have been 
things have been terrible lately. I know, maybe, maybe they have, and I'm sorry about that. But can I tell you, even in the bad times, even in the discouraging times, even in the down times, He's still God and He's still good. And one day He'll make all the wrongs right. But if you oppose Him, if you leave here today and you say, I'm rejecting that, if you, if you oppose Him and you reject truth and you reject the Word of God, my friend, listen, you will lose... And in the end, he will win. All the scoffers and all the, the, the presidents and the kings and the, and the governors and all the dictators of the world, they're, they're winning right now. It looks pretty good. Some of them are winning, but they will lose in the end because as we sung earlier, he went to the cross and he died. He was buried and he rose again. And one day he's coming back. And here's my question to you. What are you going to do? Are you following Jesus? Are you a Christian this morning? Have you put your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ? If you have not, today would be a great day for you to find out true salvation.